0: I'm going to be reading this whole section here on the divine genesis of our Lord Jesus Christ. But as you're turning there, what we are looking at in Matthew chapter 1 is the birth of salvation. When Jesus' parents brought Jesus into the temple eight days later after his birth. There was the testimony of a man to whom the Lord had revealed that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now think about what a privilege that would have been to have that revealed to you. And as providence would have it, <clears throat> In Luke, it says, he came in the spirit into the temple. And at the same time, Mary and Joseph and the baby were also entering into that temple. And Simeon takes that little child, eight days old, into his arms. And he lifts up that child and says... My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now think about that. And think about what Simeon understood with that statement. He understood in that statement something the disciples took a while to come to understand a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The birth, the divine genesis of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. son of david do not be afraid to take mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the holy spirit and she will bear a son and you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Forty-one generations of children being begotten by a father, and all of a sudden we have in the record, Matthew 1 verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom, that is Mary, Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah, or the Christ. What we have here is such an unusual thing, and such an abruption in the genealogy, that if we're aware of it, it just arrests us, Because if we are scripturally versed, what we begin to suspect is that what we have here is not the seed of a man, but the seed of a a woman. And understanding that takes our minds back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Some 6,000 years, we estimate, Prior, this promise was given. Aren't you glad God does not forget his promises? And aren't you glad that every promise of God is the framework of human history? Every promise will be fulfilled and every aspect of human history will be orchestrated to bring those promises to pass. And what Genesis 315 states is that there was going to be the seed of a serpent. These are people who are born naturally into this world. They have the nature of their father, that old serpent who's called the devil. And folks, I want you to remember when you're thinking about the devil that his primary tactic is not just alcohol and murder. His primary tactic is his speech. It is his speech in which he appears as an angel of light. It is his speech that is deceptive. And it was his speech that murdered our parents, Adam and Eve. That speech has brought about murder and hatred all throughout the generations. And what we have here, even if you look at the life of Job, who had great calamities in his life, but the temptation to curse God and die was in the bed of those calamities, but it was the speech of the evil one that tempted him to do so. In fact, the evil one not only would have used Job's own flesh, but even used his who? His wife, who said to him, just curse God and die. Well, where did that thought come from? came from the seed of the serpent. Not only is there a seed of the servant, there is a seed of the woman. There is the seed of David and his children. And between the seed of the servant and the seed of the woman is this gulf, enmity. Hatred. What separates the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is enmity one to another. Christ hates sin. You agree with that? And Satan hates the righteous one. By the decree of God, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent are separated one from another by their hatred of the works of one another. And so for a believer who is union in Jesus Christ, there should be a natural, meaning inherent, in that new nature a separation or a hatred from the world. Because the world certainly has a hatred for you, does it not? And so that seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and what we have here is this singular seed, a man named Jesus who is... The promise, Messiah King, the Messiah Priest, and the Messiah Prophet. And he is given that name, verse 21, because of the aim of his life and mission. His name shall be called Jesus because, or Jehovah saves, because he will save his people from their what? their sins. He's given the name Jehovah Saves, just like Joshua was given the name Jehovah Saves, because Joshua was going to save God's people by bringing them into the land of Canaan. He was going to save them from destruction. But Jesus is not just saving us from a material world, although that is part of it. He is saving us from our sins, and that is why His name is Jesus. Now folks, that means that salvation is both outside of us, alien to us, but it also means that our salvation means that we are being delivered from the aspects of sin in our life. First of all, from the punishment and the guilt of sin. We call that justification. God's people are being saved from the ill effect and the evil power of sin. We call that sanctification. And ultimately, we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin and death, and we call that glorification. All three of those aspects... Who's doing it? The Lord Jesus Christ is doing it as He is seated on the throne of glory. Salvation is not just a procedure that is to do something. Salvation rests in a person. Jesus Christ the Lord. Peter would proclaim very strongly Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is salvation in no other thing, no other power, no other ability, no other work, other than the name that God has given under heaven whereby we must be saved. That name is Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. And He will save us from our sins. And folks, when you you have His nature inside of you, there wells up inside of you a joy about this. Because ultimately and in the future, we're going to be saved from all of our sin. And we will behold Him. Here in our passage in Matthew chapter 1, in verses 20 through through verse 25, we have this divine genesis of Jesus Christ. We've seen His earthly genesis, His earthly birth. Now we're seeing His divine birth. Up to this point, all we have noted is the historical event and circumstances surrounding this divine genesis. Now we're going to answer this question. How could Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Matthew 1 verse 16, be of a woman? How could this thing be? And this is exactly the emphasis of this passage. We noted it last week, but let's note it again. In verse 18, we have, Before they came together. She was found to be secondly with child, not by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. We saw in verse 20, The child who has been conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. Again, we have the prophecy, verse 23, The virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. Verse 25, He kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. So what we have here is the point that this birth of this man, Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is of the divine lineage of David and of Abraham, has also a divine origin. What is that divine origin and how could this thing be? Well, it had to be by two things. It had to be a virginal conception... And it had to be a virginal birth. It had to be by those two things. In other words, folks, if I... Now think about this. It may not be... My, my illustration may not be medically accurate. But my point is what I'm trying to get across. If we took a woman today... And she is a virgin. If we took that woman and we took a fertilized oval, a fertilized egg, and we can do that today, right? If I took that fertilized egg and it was implanted inside that virgin woman, and then she gave birth, would it have fulfilled Isaiah 7, verse 14? The answer to that is no. And folks, I bring that up to make this point that when we talk about Christ, we tend to emphasize the virgin birth versus the virginal conception is the conception that made him the Son of God. Everybody following me here, okay? If we could go back and take Joseph's seed and implant it inside the Virgin Mary, it would not have fulfilled Isaiah 7.14. It would not have been, according to this passage, a virgin birth, because it had to be also a virgin birth and a virginal conception, And both of those two things coming together would have fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. Everybody everybody there, you really ought to make a note of that. And in fact, among conservative theologians today, there is a move among many of them to stop talking about the virgin birth and talk about the virginal conception to emphasize that point. And of course, we understand it takes both. It takes both the conception and the birth also. What is the Lord going to do? Well, in order for Jesus, who to be born of a woman, a new thing had to happen on the face of the earth. The Bible says that this is going to be a wonder. It's going to be a miracle. And as we read for our scripture reading, Isaiah seven verse 14, <clears throat> Isaiah delivers this sign to Ahaz, who is of the house of who? David. The sign was not just Ahaz, It was really to the whole lineage of the house of David. Behold, here's a sign, and he prophesies this. Now let's sit back and think about this. 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus the Messiah. That's a long time. 700. 100 years this coming July our nation will be 248 years in other words it's going to have to be another 500 or 450 years before we ever match as a nation the amount of time between Isaiah's prophecy and the birth of Jesus Christ. If that prophecy had been given in July of 1776, it would not have come to pass until, are you ready? You think we're going to live this? Think, think we're going to be around here? 2476. What year's today? 2024. 2476 for this to happen. Most people, I think, today would not with that. Well, the world would never be around in 24 or 2500 AD. Well, we've been wrong before, haven't we? In other words, brethren, I'm trying to get us to understand the duration of the amount of time between. Isaiah's prophecy and when that prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If we're to ask the question, how can this be that Mary, of whom, her, is Jesus Christ, the answer was prophesied 700 years earlier. And it is accomplished in Mary herself. Therefore, the Lord Himself... Interesting. The Lord Himself will give you a son. He could have just said, the Lord will give you a what? But he said, the Lord Himself will give you a son... Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call His name, what? Emmanuel. Well, what does Emmanuel mean? Verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1. It means God with us. The Lord Himself will give you a son. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name God with us. This baby is the human embodiment of the divine presence of God. Or if I was going to word it as John words it. Jesus is the temple of the divine presence of the Shekinah glory of God himself. Now brethren, just think about that miracle for a second. We have the miracle of the virgin conception. We have the miracle of a virgin birth. That's amazing, isn't it? We have the miracle of the creator of all things. The infinite, all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful God. Heaven and earth cannot contain him. In a human body. Now the Isaiah prophecy states that what I just read to you, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she shall call His name Emmanuel the Isaiah text says that what Isaiah said to the household of David is a sign. Are you seeing the sign? That sign involves a virgin conceiving, A virgin giving birth to a son and a name. Everybody following me? A name describing who this male child is. The emphasis of the Isaiah passage is on the sign The sign is not the virgin. The sign is not the conception. The sign is not the birth. What Isaiah is saying to the household of David, do you see the sign I'm giving you? In other words, the sign isn't on the vessel that we know of as who? Mary. The sign is not on the means, the sign is the child. That's the sign. And folks, you and I know that the world and a religious institution put the emphasis not on the sign but on the human vessel whose name is Mary. The sign is not Mary. She is only doing this. She is pointing to the sign. The virginal conception points to the sign, which is the conception. The virginal birth gives a sign, it's a pointing to the sign of the child that is born. And the name Emmanuel also points to who? The child. Who the child is. Who is that child? God with us. And, folks, if all that we're concerned about is Mary, now she's not to be neglected. She said, every generation will call me blessed. If all we're concerned about is Mary, or all we're concerned about is the means of the birth, we're missing the point. All the signpost to the household of David And to us, as we're reading this, is the sign. The Lord Himself gives you a sign. The child. God with us. And folks, we know that the Lord Himself is going to give a sign and the sign is Himself in human, a human body. This is a wonder beyond all wonders. Certainly it's a new thing that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. Would you not agree? But really what the new thing is, that is the wonder of all wonders, and the miracle of all miracles, is the baby, and that's what Simeon recognized, and that's what the widow in the temple recognized, and that's what the apostles we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. They didn't say, Behold, we see the glory of Mary, it's him. Mary is nothing but a fallen woman and a human vessel for the sign of this child. And the angel Gabriel said that to her in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the holy child shall be called the Son of who? The Son of God. That's amazing. I have no idea what Mary thought. Now folks, that emphasis that the sign is the child is re-emphasized in our text. Look at Matthew 1. Look at verse 23 again. And behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Everybody see verse 23. He's going to repeat it in verse 25. A virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. Look at verse 25. Joseph kept her a virgin until she gave what? Birth. Everybody see that? There's a meticulous fulfillment of that Isaiah prophecy. In verse 23 it says that she shall bear a son. Verse 25 says... She gave birth to a what? A son. And then it says in verse 23, You shall call his name Emmanuel, or God with us. Verse 25 says, He called his name Jesus. Everybody see that? Now did you say to yourself, Whoa, here's a discrepancy. Because in verse 21 of Matthew 1, it says, you're going to call Him Jesus because He's going to save His people from their what? Their sins. And folks, what this means is this. Is that when you put verse 23, and you take verse 25 and you put them together, what this means and what the apostles came to understand is is that this male child, this human male child, is God with us? This human male child, this incarnation is what we call it doctrinally. That the incarnation, God with us, has the purpose of saving believers from their sins. That's what this passage is saying. And folks, the only person that can save us from our sins is the Creator. There is no sinless human being. All we like sheep have gone astray. Behold, there's none righteous, no not what? Not one. The writer says, if God would mark our sins, nobody would stand before him. There had to be a new thing on the face of this earth. There had to be a wonder of wonders. There had to be a sign above all signs. <coughs> what is that sign? a baby and all the prophecies are saying look they're all pointing to it and Mary as a virgin is pointing to it and her conception is pointing to it and her giving birth is pointing to it and the name that Joseph named him is pointing to it the sign of that male child God incarnate saving people from their sins. He did not come in the first coming to set up a kingdom or to give prosperity to people or to make our lives comfortable. In fact, it's not comfortable because the seed of the servant hates the seed of Christ. The second coming will set up the millennial. So what we know at this point is, is that the sign is the baby. It is the God-man, Jesus Christ. What we know at this point is that God foretold this sign some 700 years ago. If you would go back 700 years, we'd be in the 1350s. We'd still be in what man calls the dark ages. This would even be before the Reformation. But we also know this. Look at verse 22. Now all this, Took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. What does he mean when he says, now all this? Well, he's certainly talking about the genealogy from verse 2 down through verse 16. Right? He had to be of the seed of Abraham. He had to be of the seed of David. He has to be referring to Isaiah 7, verse 14. In other words, folks, what has happened? is that every aspect of human history, every event that has occurred on the face of the earth since the creation of the world, that it has all been done to bring about this child. Everything. When Caesar caused all the world to be taxed, that was part of all human events bringing about the birth of this child. Because that child, according to God's own promise, had to be born where? In Bethlehem. So Caesar, unknowingly, (laughs) sets the whole world in motion. He discomforts the whole world. Folks, nobody likes taxes. (laughs) Let alone having to travel to give it. I mean, it'd be one thing if I said, all right, on April 15th, you have to pay your taxes. And by the way, your whole family has to go to California to pay it. I mean, if you're grumbling about the taxes, you're really grumbling now. Every event, every narrative in your Old Testament, all the historical story in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, every psalm that has been prayed, every prophecy, whether it be a major prophet or a minor prophet, and folks, please, we don't call them major prophets because they're greater than the minor prophets. We call it major because they wrote more. Whether it be a major prophet or a minor prophet, whether it be the 400 years of silence from the end of Malachi to the beginning of the book of Matthew, everything that has been occurring on the face of this earth has all been framed in by the Word of God and it has all been set in motion to bring about this wonderful sign. In the fullness of time, Christ came forth. And folks, the only person that has the ability to do this is God. It's God. Why do we doubt that? Why do we think that what's going on in the world right now is some kind of chaotic mess? It is if you're looking underneath the embroidery, but on top of the embroidery is God. God. And if all of human history, some 6,000 to 10,000, depending on your chronology, if all of that human history was all framework, all events, so that this point, this child could come and be born, then we are living in a day where all of human history... And every event on the face of this earth is all being frameworked for His second coming. Do you hear that? Everything. Your being born right now is part of that framework. Your being here in these services is part of that framework. Your response to the gospel or lack thereof is all part of this framework. Everything is being orchestrated so that when they cry peace and safety, the clouds rent. And the one who was born, the sign, who is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, comes off that throne and comes through into this material world to claim what is rightfully His. And you've read the book of Revelation, and you know that when He does that, there's war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of Christ, the seed of the woman. Everything. Our nation is part of that orchestra. The things that are invented, the cell phone in your hand, the computers, the technology, all of this of which many of us have real concerns about where it's going, right? It's all going so that the word of the King can come to pass. Is that not comforting? Every word in our Bible is true. And let me go further. Every word of God that's not written in our Bible is true. We only have a subset of what's been written according to the prophets. Every word that God has spoken is sure. It doesn't shake. It doesn't get unstable. It isn't in danger of being overthrown. Just as sure as the sign of a son whose name is Emmanuel, whose mission is to save his people from their sins, just as sure as that is, so is certainty his second coming. And what that all to do is give your soul stability. In all the chaos that is around us, and all the winds that threaten to topple our house, it's the rock that gives stability to our house. It's the rock that is under our feet. It's God Himself. If the identification of the sign is Jesus the Messiah, then what that sign is speaking to us, at minimum, is God's faithfulness. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 15. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, that is, he was a Jew, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. God is faithful, is what this birth said. God is true, that's what this birth said. And for us who are Gentiles, who have been saved by His grace, Not only should we see His faithfulness, that's what a Jew would see. Not only should we see that God is true to what He says, even though if the promise has been given centuries ahead of time, He would see that. But as Gentile people, we should go a step further and thank God for His mercies to us. He was a minister to what nation? To Israel. The promises were given to what nation? Israel. And from that cross and from Jerusalem echoed the gospel, not to the Jew only, but into all the world. Every ethnicity, every tribe. Every people, all the nations in all the world. Blessed be his name for what he has done. Mm-hmm. The rabbis counted in the Old Testament, and I don't know if this is true or not the rabbis numbered 456 messianic prophecies Jesus the son of god has validated every one of them He has stamped on that those promises I am the lord What a signature he has established them by bringing them to pass. In establishing them, he has said to his Father, Thy word is truth. And he has fulfilled many, maybe most of these passages. Amazing. And the sad thing is, is that our souls don't comprehend the wonder of it like it should. We hear the gospel as if it's an everyday thing. We hear things like this as if, of course, God would do this. (laughs) It's mercy He did this. No obligation. The law says the wages, the sin is what? He could have done away with it all. And he would have been just to do so. But he had compassion on the ignorant. He had pity on those who cannot hear. And he did not, like the religious Jews, walk around the Samaritan man that was beaten and in his blood. He came to you and he came to me, beaten down in our blood, guilty, sinful, ugly, cancerous, from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet. And he looked at us and he spoke the word Be healed. And we received the healing. This baby is the sign that nothing, not even evil, can annul God's Word and promise. Even an impossibility, like a virgin conceiving or a virgin giving birth, or a child who is God with us, or God Himself saving believers from their sins. Nothing is impossible with God. And if you read a promise, and it seems like it's impossible, when you look at it with your physical eyes and what's going on in this world, you need to say to yourself, my God, can call those things that are not as though they what? They are. Hallelujah. This babe, Peter says in Acts 2, has been made Lord and Christ. Our Father, thank You.